begin to tell the story of how great love can be. The sweet love story that is older than the sea. The simple truth about the love he brings to me. Where do I start? Like a summer rain that cools the pavement. Welcome back to New Persuasive Words. I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. And Bill, we have we warmed up for a while. We did, and we want to welcome our Canadian listeners in spite exactly. of Scott. Yeah, I, I felt like I stepped in it. And I want to just say, I love Canada. I love its songwriters. I love... Trudeau, I yeah. love uh, Canadian bacon, Canadian bacon, Good maple cheese. syrup. Yep. Now he, uh, you know, usually you don't, you know, you don't drift out there into areas in which you do not know and say bold things. But uh, you didn't miss it with the Canadian songwriter. I did not realize. I had no idea. Like I, yeah. I, I yeah. That's all right. And part of it, right, and is, is just, actually you could have asked me beforehand, and I could have saved you from it. But so. a lot of people don't think of a lot of those people as Canadian. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's because people just don't think. A lot of Canadians are still in the closet, too. They don't, it's not like they say, hey, I'm a Canadian artist. What is it? Uh, Norm, I don't know why, Norm, because it's a proud... Norm MacDonald, who's Canadian, said, yeah, Canadians, Canadian, Canada's kind of like your... For America, it's kind of like your your, uh, your, uh, uh, your attic. You just forget it's up there. Yeah. <laughs> you forget what's in there. Andy, Cr- I, I, Andy Crouch. You know Andy Crouch. I do. Yeah. No, I mean, I know of him. I've met him. Yeah. He said one time that he was with a bunch of... People in publishing, and they were talking. You know how I like that the U.S. News Report time. Right. They, they were trying to figure out what would be the worst selling cover. Hits the newsstands, nobody buys it. And they said it would definitely be like a Maple Leaf, and it, the cover should be Canada, our quiet neighbor to the north. <laughs> Which I love Canada, by the way. I mean, I do. I think it's beautiful. So anyway, so Scott, our topic. Our topic. We want to talk about. We're going back to our theology and outline series, which is our Reformation 500 anniversary. Our way of celebrating this. Wonderful and yet sorted tradition. Yeah, and matter of fact, I'm I'm having I'm um I have to teach about the Reformation next semester, so I'm actually going to listen to our podcast so I can learn I like something. That. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, you'll be my technical advisor on certain centuries. So it, we want to talk about Garish and Jensen. I was noticing something. I, we were going to talk about the substance of their chapters on Garish about midway through has a chapter on the covenant and Jensen about the same place, maybe 60% of the way through or almost at the halfway mark deals with creation and the image of God. Now it strikes me that like, basically it seems like some of the issues that Jensen leads with Garish doesn't get to for a while. Like, like like Garish works through creation and works through what it means to be, you know, a person in the image of God and, and works through sin and evil and estrangement and these things and then gets around to the covenant and then gets around to jesus so and 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 before he deals with the person of jesus he deals with the work of jesus jensen starts right out with israel and jesus yeah you know i again and and what i'm about to say about garish is not a it's not an insult for me but i think garish (laughs) i i I, okay what i want to do is generate a list i think bill it's not an insult when Bill says for Bill when Bill says this it's, it's not, not an, an insult, insult which we... means you might feel insulted like other people might well because it's a term that's been used uh, particularly by um, Brother Luther and others as an insult but I think Garish approaches this and again I'm 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 a church history history person so I I come at it you know sometimes with archaic frameworks but 
I think he's a more of a scholastic. He takes more of a scholastic approach to these subjects and follows, at some levels, kind of what you would call a traditional systematic rhythm. I mean, he does. He he's not he's not uh, a slave to it. Whereas I think Jensen, and I've said this before, kind of goes at it more from a biblical, organic, uh, the kind of the way it was built from the ground up. I think both actually. I think both are helpful. I think you know I'm purely biblicist or a purely okay. Well, first came. You know, Christ, the gospel, rule of faith, and or before Christ, the Israel. I think that can really be helped by sometimes looking at it in a you know more systematic way. And the same thing too. I think a more organic, historical, from the ground up kind of theology is a great corrective to a scholastic approach. I mean, I think both are are, are this our tradition, the great tradition of the church, is richly served by both methodologies. I, I wouldn't want to say Garish is scholastic. I would want to say almost. He's a pietist, it, it, not in the way of necessarily practice. I don't know about his practice, but he, because what separates him from, he doesn't talk metaphysically about God much. Like he, he talks more about the, the structure of the argument. The structure of the argument, yeah, is, is definitely, I mean, I, you're right. I think he, and he, he self-consciously says that he's following Calvin and Schleiermacher in a lot of ways. Like, I, right. I, I mean, I think like. Garish's systematics, and he said that you know he did this seminar for years at the University of Chicago. People like Randall Zachman, some of the great. I mean, Randall Zachman, I think is is I don't think it's even contestable at this point right now that he's he's the best Calvin scholar in the world. Garish trained him. I mean, like, yeah. and they, they, lots of these people that say with Garish went through the seminar that Garish would do on the Institutes and Schleiermacher's Christian faith. By the, by the way, I, I have to disclose um, this could disillusion some of you, but. I've discovered a recent letter uh, that Calvin uh, had written about his wife, and he <laughs> once saw her ankle and was strangely warmed. Okay. Well, we got to get rid of that. We're making a joke about there's been a recent uh, there's been a recent controversy Con- about Karl Barth and so and some things in his. So it, he, it happened after the first editions of <laughs> the Institute <laughs> for Chef Rome's commentary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, so, so there you go. There okay. we go. I'm sorry. No, I'm so, sorry. That was, but it's Friday. Night. It's funny. It was funny. I don't know to anybody but you and me, but it was funny. I mean, I laughed. All right. So the other three people uh, who listen to us who get that joke, get that joke. That, there actually might be five. I was going to say seven. Ah, but, there we go. There we go. But so you know, so that I mean, but I think Garish. I mean, Schleiermacher wants to part of his project is to make dogmatics such that it fits into the German university. And so he's he's saying, actually, I'm not talking about something metaphysical. I'm talking about the Christian experience of God, which is historical. It's historical study. And so I think Garish, in a similar way, is talking more about the Christian way of having faith, references God, references Christ, but references it from the perspective of studying like giving expression to the faith of the church and set multiple times Garish, expl- for those of you reading along, you'll see this consciously chooses what he thinks is the sort of uh, uh, method and decisions that are in line with Calvin and Schleiermacher over against Bart. And of course, Jensen was one of Bart's students. Right. So, and I think, and if you look at the dogmatics, there's also a lot more Luther references than Calvin references. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think that's true. Um, you know, I, don't know. I, don't. I actually, I'm pretty sure that's true, but, but that makes sense. That makes sense. They were both doing a similar kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, and I, they are both people that I would have rather hung out with than, than Calvin. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. I mean, they were, um, 
You know, I just uh, work on a piece on, uh, uh, and I just mentioned, Cal- you know, Calvin has a moderate view of humor, like Aquinas and others. Uh, a moderate view of it, no sense of it. <laughs> well, you know, I don't, I don't know. I guess it's different kind of. It's, it was a serious time. You get, you get kicked out of your city multiple times because of uh, trying to do what you're going to do. Chicken or the egg, though? Did you get kicked? I mean, like, did you get kicked out because you're trying to do, or did you get kicked out because your personality? <laughs> Well, I, I, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think he, uh, it was a. Can you imagine? How, yeah, like you hung out with Calvin at one point, imagine a time. Can you imagine? I had such a good time with that guy. I, I mean, I can imagine you might say he said some interesting things, or he's really good. But I can't imagine. It, it's very easy for me to think, like you could say it about Luther, but it's hard for me to imagine the context. I just had such a good time with that guy. Yeah, Swingley, I could imagine having a good time with Swingley. Yeah. Ah, now I, I can imagine having a good time with Luther. I can imagine coming away from uh, Booster saying, "Ah, oh, he's a good guy. I like him." Melanchthon, oh, nice guy. Uh, I don't get that from Zwinley. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, he was. Uh, I think he he was pretty. He was a pretty tough character as well. I mean, they both. You know, they were both uh, having to take care of not only they had not only. Churchly responsibilities, but they have civic responsibilities. I yeah, mean, Zwinley dies on a battlefield ministering to soldiers because defending, trying to defend them from uh, from the. Uh, it's more complicated. He was not Anabaptist, Anabaptist or Neo, and no form. No Neo, no, no. I'm, if he'd have been a Neo, I'm sorry. You have to say your prayers alone because I can't come out there. Yeah, yeah. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? Gracious conversations characterized by a particular combination of wit, empathy, reflection, and human understanding. If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month or more? It's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going, and you can help launch several other podcasts projects i've got in the works being a patreon sponsor is really just you being a patron of an art form you enjoy and are passionate about so i invite you to be a patron through patreon of this which i think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy again any contribution is welcome but for five bucks a month you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call which begins right now Thank you, David and Winona Babico, Michael Butera, Peter Stegenwald, Samantha Blythe, Sari Graham, Jordan and Danny Morseberger, Josh Redder, Ellis Brazil, David Zoll, Jonathan Butcher, Ben DeHart, and Charlotte Donlin. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. So, I mean, that, that being said, I, I was thinking about this. You So I had this kind of framework in mind that if you sort of start with... I mean, you look at the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. And Charles Partey. <laughs> yeah, we can look at the Bible. the Bible. I like the Bible. The Bible? Uh, the Bible. This is why... Do we read the Bible? This is seminary. That was we seminary. are founded on faith, family, and prayer. <laughs> we stand by the Bible. The B-I-B-B-L-E-E. Yeah. 
Well, my yeah. mother's Bible. You, you know, Charles Parti, my Calvin teacher, used to say, I hear him if you ever say, it's my understanding the scripture starts with the call of Abraham. The rest is mythical primeval history. Now, I mean, I think that's an oversimplification, but it is fair to say that there is something about, I mean, Genesis 1, the opening chapter of the Bible, certainly is one of the things canonically that's compiled in in its final form whatever traditions may you know it, but it's probably pretty late like it, it, it most scholars think genesis one right is is a sixth century sort of yeah it's the priestly it's something yeah 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 in the, in the sixth century yeah so some of the sort of more universal stuff in genesis 1 through 11 is cosmic and then you go the bible starts cosmic right and ends cosmic but after chapter 11 it gets really particular you go from the whole story of the whole world the story of one couple, you know, right, right. and so that's tied to the, the previous eleven chapters, but gets particular in a really it, 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 unique way. Of course, you could argue. I mean, I think some Hebrew scripture um, scholars argue that it actually starts with the Exodus. Well, yeah, right. You I could mean, even say, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, well, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, I think you could say the Exodus is the foundational. I mean. Right. And, you know, Jensen gets at that. Doesn't Jensen say that there's two big starts, Moses and David? Like, he kind of, it's not that he minimizes Abraham at all, but he says that that, that, that these big beginnings. Right, yeah. Um, and, yeah, that have, yeah, that actually, and that they're big beginnings because they can, they, they for Christians, because those are, those are actually the central themes that get re, reimagined in, in the person of Christ. So I was going to say that, you know. King and Redeemer. In Christendom. Uh, but, but you know, I was going to say in a kind of Christendom context where most people are not regularly engaged with people outside the faith, mm-hmm. you, you know, unless you're in a border area where there's sure. some Muslims or, and, you know, and there's certainly Jews in Europe, but, you know, but generally most people are not, you know, you know like. <laughs> oh, you mean back in the ancient. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but so in that kind of context, you know, people argue, people look at the way Thomas Aquinas begins to assume it with the five ways. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people argue, and I think. Persuasively, Thomas isn't trying it, to really. It takes you a while to get into the. Not, yeah, it takes you a while to get to the five ways in the Summa, but yeah, yeah. But you know, when he when he ta- people talk about the five ways, and they're like that because that's treated before a lot of the particularity, the Trinity, things like that. A lot of people argue that he's not really trying to prove God's existence. No, no, you he's know not. Th- that he's he's showing what is widely available about God f- through the created order, but not he's not running around thinking about. You know all the people at you know the University of Paris or whatever that are secular skeptics and things like that. You know, like he's he's thinking that's not the polemics. Yeah, in, right. In right. Sumo, no. So I was thinking, well, you know, if you're in a Christian kind of context, maybe it doesn't matter as much. Maybe it's easier to start with creation. But then, I, and I was thinking about pre-Christian, post-Christian. But I think that that actually, at least in post and, and pre-Christian kind of, if you look like in a pre-Constantinian context where the church is a, a minority of sorts for a couple centuries sometimes more persecuted than others, mm-hmm. but certainly... I, I was thinking, well, it makes sense to start with a particular, but then lots of people actually do start with a general. You know, they, right. the, a lot of the apologists and things... Well, the Genesis account has a different... There's a different thing they're fighting for. Right. Because it's, it's the goodness of creation. Yeah. 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 And, and also, but the nation... Natu- you know, and again, what Augustine writes, there's the literal... There's this literal commentary on Genesis, which is not literal at all. Uh, <laughs> which is kind of funny. I mean, I think he writes about Genesis one. I'm I, I'm 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 coming up with four or five that I can know, but I think it's more times. I mean, even what uh, his chapter, one of the chapters in the end of Confessions, is about 
as a mini commentary on Genesis, kind of a reconciling Platonism and, and Christianity or where they're different. So part of it is the nature of the relationship between, uh, you know, it's interesting, the universal in the particular. Right, the, right, right. The nature between <clears throat> the creaturely world. How do you, in other words, uh, um, part of it is how do we deal with the fact of uh, all our ideals about what's above us, if we're Christians, the goodness of God, with what's actually happening down here. Yeah, and, yeah. And I think so, you know, Christians inherited it. Um, in the second century, they're arguing for the goodness of creation. In the fourth and fifth century, they're trying to reconcile, you know, what's wrong with our ideals. You know, it's a, it's a very different problem. And I think we still have, we, you know, again, why, how do you just, how do you talk about a good God uh, in a corrupted world? Uh, what is the nature of our existence? What is the, what's real and what's not? Those are, I mean, we have very different metaphysics, but those questions are still pertinent. And Genesis sometimes helps us ask that, you know, at least the Genesis and a couple of John 1. Well, you know, we're here because God created it. It's good. And the creator has become part of, the, has become a creature. So that that's a very, it's a very u- unique approach in the history of ideas. Yeah. yeah, and I yeah, and I think so. As I was pondering this today, I thought, you know, which makes more sense in a sort of pluralistic society? Which again, sort of in late modernity, in early Christianity, you have a rampant pluralism, right? Like, <laughs> and in late modernity, you have rampant pluralism. And I, I don't know. I think, but you, you could argue either makes sense. I mean, Jensen would say he wrote a great book called The Trying Identity, where he <laughs> talks about like basically uh, that. Naming God is the most important thing you can do in a pluralistic society. He talks about in the in the sort of pre-Constantinian context how important Trinitarian developing Trinitarian theology was, particularly of Christ. And yet, also you could think of how a sort of solidarity approach. You think of Saint Patrick, right? Mm -hmm. Some of the you know you know the shamrocks things and stuff like that is probably apocryphal and. I hope the snakes isn't. I'm sure. I'm sure it is. Well, but I, I'd well, like. I, there are no snakes in Ireland. <laughs> yeah, I like that. <laughs> but well, no. But I think. But it's. Do it you was, like snakes? I, I I'm I uh, don't particularly like them, but I I don't go out of my way to kill them because I know they serve. I don't go away my way to kill any living thing. But you know, I'd rather have a snake outside than mice. So I don't like snakes. I think it, the Bible says we're not supposed to. It's the, the, our, our innate aversion of reptiles is biblical. Right? We're not, think, Indiana Jones. I think I think that's probably thousands of years of serpents <laughs> biting us. Yeah, Indiana, but, Indiana Jones is right. Snakes. Hey, hey, snakes, hey, snakes. Had to be snakes. <laughs> yeah, no, but where are you going with it? I think both, I think both tropes can be used effectively. I think we need, we, uh, we are a society that needs both community and connection. And in covenant, you get this idea of connection, okay? And uh, redemption, at least if you're going to do it biblically, this idea of community, of the new people. And so you have the economic trinity um, in terms of being this idea of the dyna- God. Our, our monotheism is dynamic. Um, we know God through God's actions and the way God interacts with our uh, with history and with both individual history and holy history. And so— there's a sense where, um, you know, sometimes you may hear an attempt to have inclusive language, the Trinity referred to as creator, redeemer, and sustainer. That's, that's, you know, that's not theologically correct because the whole, the all of God is involved in creating, redeeming, right. and sustaining us in terms of that's the dynamic. The, the Holy Trinity, 
Our monotheism uh, says us that there's love has its object and its dynamic, and the God is love is an act of love. It's not a metaphysical principle, but a living relationship. Yeah, I, I yeah, I think that's true, and I think that this is so. Is there a right answer to this, Bill? Well, uh, which w- w- was a questioning of which way you should go, and I think well, but I think the individual. I mean, the idea that God is a God who makes friends, I think that's a powerful idea as well in terms of the idea with Abraham. So salvation is like being friended by God on Facebook. <laughs> well, not on Facebook, but it is. Uh, well, well, you know, uh, Abraham was considered a friend of God, and Thomas Aquinas tells us in said uh, Summa that we mentioned earlier that friendship is the highest love, and the highest friendship is to, have friend- to be friends with God. I think that's a powerful idea. All right, let me— um... By the way, that's a pretty pietistic notion in a scholastic work. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. So von Balthasar says— Who invited him? (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Mixing it up a little bit. Says that neither religious philosophy nor existence can provide the criterion for the genuineness of Christianity. Repeat that again. Neither religious philosophy— nor existence can provide the criterion for the genuineness of Christianity. Hmm. In philosophy, man discovers what is humanly knowable about the depths of being. In existence, man lives out what is humanly livable. But Christianity disappears the moment it allows itself to be dissolved into a transcendental precondition of human self-understanding in thinking or living, knowledge or deed. (laughs) I don't know why. There's something about that quote. It's a powerful quote. Uh, you know, again, one of the Tony Campolo stories, so probably everybody knows them, but... Not everybody knows Campolo anymore. story anymore, but uh, uh, Boltman was speaking in New York, and so Campolo, as a student pastor and his African-American senior pastor, went up to listen to him. And Campolo says, you know, I wasn't sure, you know, he's not theologically trained, uh, and I wasn't sure if he was getting what Boltman was saying. And so on the way back, they go, so what did you think of Boltman? And the pastor goes... They have taken my Lord, and I know not where they have lain him. <laughs> and so, yeah, you got Boltman. That's a pretty good summary of, yeah. Yeah. of Boltman. But I think this idea is, is that um, you, know, you demythalize it, you take away the transcendence, you try to just make it an extension of human experience, and you'll end up with nothing there. Uh, in other words, it, it's, it, what we believe is that the God of the cosmos— came down to us to, rec- to, to, to rescue us, to befriend us, to save us, to love us. And that's not something you can't get there reasonably. That has to, you know, Tertullian said, I believe because it's absurd. He didn't mean it was because it's beyond what I can reasonably get to. That's why I believe that we're making America great again. <laughs> Which abs- part of it's absurd? Because it's absurd. No. Uh, yeah, no, I think it, you know, it's interesting because that quote is from Von Balsar's amazing work, Love Alone, is credible. But he says in the beginning that there's this whole attempt throughout the history of the church to make the Logos, the word, the eternal word of God, correspond and match up with the Logoi, the words in the world, right, like the truth right. in the world. And in the first, like, you know, two thirds, or the first, like, half of the book, he deals with both the pre-modern, which is the f- philosophical approach, like through cosmology, religion, right. and, and then the more psychological or existential approach in modernity and he, that's where he says you know philosophy and existence can either but then he has this quote 
after that chapter. Um, it, it's a chapter called The Failures of Love. He says, when man encounters the love of God in Christ, not only does he experience what genuine love is, but he's also confronted with the undeniable fact that he, a selfish sinner, does not possess true love. He experiences two things at once, the finitude of the creature's love and its sinful frigidity. To be sure, he does possess something of an anticipation in the German, in brackets, is vorverstandness, which I just want to throw yeah, that in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the anticipation of what love is. If he did not, he would not be able to make any sense of the sign of Jesus Christ. Indeed, the sign itself would be opaque and contradictory in an objective sense, because here the love of God has appeared in the form of flesh, <laughs> that is, in the form of human love. All the same, man cannot come to a recognition of this sign on the basis of his anticipation without a radical conversion, a conversion not only of the heart, which must, in the face of this love, confess that it has failed to love until now, but also a conversion of thought, which hmm. must relearn what love, after all, really is. Hmm. Wow. So, I mean, von Balthasar's argument in this book is basically that if there is an analogy to, if there is a bridge to, although it's interesting because neither Garish or Jensen would say, I think that they're doing apologetics or or missiology or something like that. But both of them, I think, do do theology in a way. Well, that addresses the, the yeah. context seriously. Well, the Jensen work that we're following is not a systematics. We're following addresses he gave to undergrads, at, yeah, at Princeton University. Yeah, to, no, yeah, yeah. But you know, it's interesting that von Balthasar thinks that love is, if there is a sort of point of contact, it's love, and he thinks part of what's instrument love is what you love, you find beautiful, hmm. and what you find beautiful, you come to love. Hmm. That's when you fall in love. Sometimes somebody looks different to you. Or, or or a work of art seems like Suzanne. I didn't love that. I love that song now. First few times of 10, 10 or 15,000, I didn't love it. Now I love it. Sounds different to me. But, you know, that, that experience of, and he thinks this is what Revelation is like. And here he's trying to kind of unite the true, the good, and the beautiful. But it's interesting because maybe this, where von Balthasar starts with love, is maybe the sort of squaring the difference between like Jensen's particularity and Garish's attempt to sort of in some way, do dogmatics on the front end with a sort of invitation to universality, but maybe love, because love is this universal need, right? And yet, what he's saying there is 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 that the source of it is completely particular, and mm. it's in the incarnation of the God who is the God of Israel. Late I have loved you, beauty so ancient. Amen to that. Amen. Have a good weekend, folks. Not the long flowing dress that you're in Or the light coming off of your skin The fragile heart you protected for so long Or the mercy in your sense of right and wrong It's not your hands searching slow in the dark Or your nails leaving love as water more not the way you talk me off the roof Your questions like directions to the truth It's knowing that this can't go on forever 
Likely one of us will have to spend some days alone. Maybe we'll get forty years together, but one day I'll be gone. One day you'll be gone. If we were vampires and death was a joke, we'd go out on the sidewalk in the snow and laugh at all the lovers and their plans. I wouldn't feel the need to hold your hand. Maybe time running out is a gift. I'll work hard till the end of my shift. Give you every second I can find, and hope it isn't me who's left behind. It's knowing that this can't go on forever. Likely one of us will have to spend some days alone. Maybe we'll get forty years together. One day I'll be gone. One day you'll be. One day I'll be gone. One day you'll be 